Welcome to another week of Surviving Creativity, the show all about becoming your own boss, following your dreams, and surviving the process. Surviving Creativity is now available on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our podcast or download to your favorite listening device. As always, Surviving Creativity is made possible by listeners like you. If you like what you hear, head on over to patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity and please consider becoming a patron. This week we take a look at the Amazon Hachet debacle. What is it the publishers are doing? What is it that the vendor giant is doing? Our thoughts and opinions on both. I get pretty riled up. I think you're going to like it. Then we take a look at the Kirby estate. Back in the news, this time Hollywood is getting involved, calling for the Supreme Court to make a ruling. It's another great week, so get ready for Surviving Creativity. terrestrial radio and just every 15 minutes just stop for time and temperature and and call signals and just do the clap and then keep going <laughs> 11 15 15 minutes past the hour it's 45 degrees outside this is balmy <laughs> you're listening to surviving creativity heading over to the surviving creativity accuweather <laughs> it's gonna be a hot one out there today Boom. Keep those windows rolled up the air conditioning on Goodness gracious! It's uh, <laughs> it's gonna be a day, Phyllis. Phyllis, how are you gonna, how, Phyllis? How are you gonna beat the heat? <laughs> oh my gosh! I have so many tricks. <laughs> Phyllis, here's here's what you do. You make a little neck pillow. Oh. You fill it. You fill it with some rice, and you put it in the freezer. <laughs> uh, that's the best. That's what I do. <laughs> That's All right, the best. you know, here's some guys that know how to beat the heat. It's the Beach Boys with Help Me Rhonda. But before that, we're heading over to Rock Johnson in the surrounding creativity traffic copter. Rock, it's a dangerous, dangerous day for young and old people. Explain why. That's right. We're looking down from the city right now, and there's a lot of people keeling right over in the heat. They got to get inside. Get to a library. Read a book. Be a great day to see a movie. Too bad movies haven't been great in 30 years. <laughs> oh my God, that's hard to do for a long time. <laughs> Bob, are you going to see a movie today? I don't know. Is there any movies out with Spencer Tracy in them right now? No. Then no. Probably not. <laughs> that was a bit. That was a bit on some show. There was a guy that refused. He's like... Uh, is Spencer Tracy in it? No. Then no. Then I no. Then won't go see it. Yeah, that was a bit <laughs> with something. I don't remember what, though. Remember Remington Steele? <laughs> <laughs> Why is that like in your laugh? It, it came out of nowhere. What, what about well, Remington Steele? He had a movie bit. Like, oh, everything was like, yeah, it's like, this is just like this one movie. Everything, every case they were on <laughs> was just like a movie. And he would name it. He'd be like, oh, To Catch a Thief, 1968, MGM. <laughs> Faye Dunaway. 
That was a That's bit. how he solved all his cases. Speaking of was, movies and Spencer Tracy, I was uh, one of the neat things about switching to digital is that when I'm inking, I can put I, I, I it's a lot easier for me to put like my little Kindle Fire just off of my line of sight. And I've, I've been listening to I don't really watch them, but I listen to a lot of movies. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, I'm on the second season of TNG. I, I've been I decided to watch the entire oh. series. That first season's rough. I, well, I think I've got a real serious hardcore fan because my 12-year-old decided to watch with me, and he made it all the way through the Farpoint saga, both halves, and he still wants to watch the series. So I figured if he can make it through that, <laughs> he can probably do pretty well. But Fucking uh, Farpoint, when they're like, the big clue is an apple appeared and disappeared. <laughs> and that, that one method actor... It's just got a wig on. He's like, oh, please, don't be angry. We need your energy. It's the worst. He almost, it almost looked like a Gilligan's Island skit. The props were so bad in that, in that little hut that he was on down on the planet. But uh, Which is a roundabout way to say, if you get a chance, because I think it's on Amazon Prime, rewatch A Mad, 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 Mad World. It, it, God, it's it's got Spencer time. Tracy in it, and it is so it holds up so well. No, uh, no, no, I don't no think. Brad. No, does it? It's really not that bad. No, it's Brad. Fine. Uh, yeah, be careful with Brad making those kinds of recommendations. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> it really holds up. Because you got to be careful with Brad because things are kind of tied into his memories. You should really rewatch this movie because it reminds me of my dad and my real dad, not Philip. And you're like, well, I didn't have that experience, so I'm not going to feel the same way about Mommy Dearest that, that you did. It still holds up. I got to tell you, um, what was the one? Death by Murder? Oh, murder yeah. by death! Murder, murder by, death. by death! I did not, you did not, didn't? I did not feel that held up. Really? Oh. Like I think Clue holds up. I think The Private Eyes holds up, but I did not feel that Murder by Death held up. See, I think the opposite way of Clue. I think Clue gets better. I think Clue is way ahead of its time. And, no, and I it think, was a box office bomb. And, yeah, no, and Clue it, holds up. That's what I'm saying. Murder by Death does not hold up. I feel. Man, oh man, I couldn't disagree with you more. But I got I got to be completely honest. I've never watched Clue because I've always seen it as a inferior uh, byproduct of Murder by Death. You've never watched Clue? I've never watched Clue. I look at it and I'm like, this isn't Murder by Death. And I turn it off. Oh, dude, you're missing out. It's so good. This isn't Murder by Death. <laughs> That's the first time in the history of cinema those Anyone's words, uttered that phrase? Yeah, even the guy that wrote Murder by Death has never been not as good as what we made. Ah, uh, Peter, we really had something special. <laughs> you, they really did. They, they, David Niven was in that, wasn't he? It was David Niven, Peter Maggie Falk. Smith. My God, you couldn't get a better cast. And no one did any. And they, there was like a Truman Capote joke in there somewhere. <laughs> There was a Truman Capote uh, impressionist. The entire, yeah, the entire character was based on Truman Capote. 
Yeah. Oh, for uh, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi was in it, wasn't he? No. Sir Alex Guinness. Are you sure? Uh, <laughs> Corey. <laughs> His name in Star Wars was Sir Alex Guinness. The actor's name is Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> you bastards! <laughs> he was in that movie. <laughs> Oh, and my God, the writer was Neil Simon. I am correct. Well, this is boy, that Clue. explains it. Because is that guy is Clue. so hit or miss. I do no, not he's... understand. the. And Alec Guinness was in it. He played the waiter. Or the... The, the butler. The butler. You're telling me that Neil Simon is not hit or miss? Because I'm telling you, sir, Neil Simon is fucking hit or miss. Give really? me a, give me yeah, a give miss. Give me a miss. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you. Let me just go to his repertoire. Oh, this is not loading. Why is this? Okay, there we go. Because even the computer knows you're wrong. Okay, take it easy. Hold on a second. <laughs> We're getting there. Are you gonna go with theater or film? No. Look, your show of shows. No arguing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh. All right. Sid Caesar, he worked on Sid Caesar and Phil Silver's show. Yep, no one know yep. that. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Barefoot in the Park and The Odd Couple, great. Mm-hmm. Love American Style, eh. Hmm. Okay, now, here's, here's the first hit or miss. Who here has actually sat through Plaza Suite? I have multiple times. <laughs> yeah, me too, buddy. Sorry. I love it. <laughs> Wait, which is the one with Alan Alda? Is that Four Seasons? Oh, I don't. Uh, well, no. Uh, uh, Plaza Suite has Walter Matthau. Okay. Well, you guys are talking about the film version. Definitely. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, the Odd Couple is very good. I guess the TV show was even good, but I'm not as good as the. Not uh, the TV show's near. not as good as no. the as the play. Yeah. I was not a big fan of the TV show. Oh, California Suite. That's the one. California Sweet. I don't know that I've seen that one. I'll be honest Not with you. Not great. Not good? No. Murder by Death? Eh. Oh, God, you're killing me. Isn't, <laughs> I mean, isn't California Sweet just a... It's like a rehashing of Plaza Suite? I'm almost sure it is. Um, It might be like a, a sequel. No, it's, it's a misadventures of four groups of guests at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Oh. All right, so California Suite. Um, I think my theory of Neil Simon is that a lot of people have seen some of his best stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But then you then you say, but then like for every, I'm telling you, he was prolific. So for every Odd Couple, there was like Biloxi Blues and Max Dugan Returns. What is wrong with Biloxi Blues? Biloxi I'm, Blues was good, and Seems Like Old Times was even good. All of those uh, Chevy okay. Chase, Goldie Hawn movies he wrote, very. I good. recently rewatched Seems Like Old Times, and. There's not a lot of meat in it. Neil Simon I, movies have one or two really good jokes, and, and the rest of it is just kind of stretching. There's a disconnect for me, because you guys are bringing up shows and talking about, about the film versions, and I'm only familiar with, with the play. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> who did Skin Deep? Skin Deep. Skin did you ever deep. see Skin Deep? It was a John Ritter vehicle in the late... 80s, oh man, 90s. that sounds familiar. He was, was it? A, a, was it Neil Simon? <sighs> oh. 
It was written by, oh, that was a Blake Edwards movie. Yeah. Nah, he's hit or miss. Maybe Blake Edwards is what I'm thinking of being <laughs> hit or miss. Yeah. Blake Edwards is hit or miss because he did SOB, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Blake Edwards is. The and he did the Pink Panther. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah, he yeah, really yeah, hit yeah, some yeah, home yeah, runs, yeah. and then some of them okay. are just. Neil, I, I I apologize. I take it all back. Good. It's Blake Edwards that's hit or miss. We can be friends again. Okay. <laughs> Crisis averted. <laughs> you know what's funny is I was just looking over. I went to his like. I don't know if you call it a bibliography or whatever, the body of his work, and I'm just cruising through him. And even when you hit something like The Female Odd Couple, that's actually a really funny show. <laughs> so, like, even even his reworkings of old stuff are still not bad. Yeah, Bla- yeah. it's Blake Edwards. Blake Edwards was a name put on everything in the 80s, and it, yes, none it, was. Of it was good. None of it was funny. Even not- Skin Deep only had one or two really funny things in it. I'm not super familiar with Blake Edwards. The, what was the movie, Scott, where the big scene in the movie, it was a Blake Edwards film where the two guys have glow-in-the-dark condoms. and the, That's and skin the, deep. Oh, is that? Okay, very good. So, so a lot of the movies have like a scene like that that everybody talks about, but the rest of the movie is kind of flat. I think that's comedy in a lot of films, though, right? Like, Well, a lot of especially films today, now. yes. Yeah. It's like, let's combine a bunch of really funny scenarios and try and give it some sort of random loose plot. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't it doesn't really work. But in retrospect, you laugh at it because it's like, oh, God, that scene's really funny. And then you, you and your friends play out that scene over and over, thinking the film is great. And then you go watch the film again and go, God, what a piece of shit. How do we sit through this? Yeah. Yeah. We were so enamored by that one scene. We were <laughs> laughing so hard at that one thing that we forgot that, that there was no... I think here. I think that a lot of it is also contextual. Maybe. Um because don't you feel like maybe um so a perfect example for me is uh, I'll give you two different examples of movies that I think are funny for completely different reasons. I find um okay, for example, Let's take a look at Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. That's a movie that I don't have any business liking, but I think at the time and place that it came out, it and who I saw it with, I I adore that movie. We we quoted the fuck out of it. We loved that movie, and it's yes. really dumb. Yes, I man. No pun intended. Three Amigos the same way. Oh God, God <laughs> wonderful. Three Amigos. Three Amigos. I love Three Amigos. <laughs> kills me, and it's not a great movie. <laughs> No, nah, it's, but it's not also great, not a but it's also film. charming as hell. But if you sit, if I, I will sit down and watch a Three Amigos with, with Cold with somebody. Yeah. Like with you, I, Corey, I'll sit down and I'll try to watch Step Brothers or something that's really supposed to be traditionally funny. But like, I find Wes Anderson movies funny in a different way or MASH, the original MASH. Mm-hmm. I understand that some people just don't find the charm in them. Yeah. But uh well and also I'm going to uh, standing on the shoulders of of giants. I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase you Scott and and, and uh, cuz you made this point and it just really stuck with me. Is that a fat we, crack? I don't appreciate no, that. No, I don't make that. <laughs> Christ. No, I'm a mental giants. Here's the deal. 
you don't just go to a movie to uh, to blow two hours anymore. It, it, it's it, it's become it, it's become such an expensive uh, thing. If you don't swallow your tongue watching a movie, you don't feel like you got entertained. And a lot of these movies that were so good were things that we spent a couple bucks and spent a couple hours in the theater and watched it. And if it was good, if it, it was great, and if not, we really didn't care. It was just a couple. It was ninety minutes, and we went back on with our lives. There was definitely a different. I mean, that's kind of every medium, though, right? Like there was a period of time where you could go see theater for pretty cheap, and now it's become sort of an expensive, yeah, night out thing. And then it was film, and now film is turning into the same thing. And you know, now it's home media, right? Now you watch it at home, but even that's getting more expensive. Well, I know, I know that there's a renaissance happening in TV right now. Yeah, where I'm I'm enjoying TV much more than I'm enjoying films. I think I think TV, good TV is having an easier time being made right now than good film. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's just so much to watch. There's so much good stuff out there. I mean, there's there's a time when True Detective would have been this amazing movie, right? That some avant-garde director would have put out. It would have been Fincher and Seven, you know, mm-hmm. putting out Seven. Yeah. Now it's on HBO. And it's every Sunday. Um, I wonder when we're going to hit that saturation point. How do you like mean? Now that, well, now that you have all of these companies, you know, you've got Netflix producing original content. HBO is, is you know, now you can get HBO Go and just have it. There's original content coming from there. Oh, HBO's kind of always been doing that. But uh, Amazon is producing. Netflix is producing. Hulu is producing. And they, they're tending to make better shows uh, for less money. Yeah. And you know, and it's it's becoming the scenario where they they're not ad supported. Um so they're not pandering, they're subscription supported so they get to do what they want and make good stuff, but at, you know, at what point is just all of the media good? <laughs> and and then everyone is just overwhelmed with good media. Well, I mean, I can I can tell you that um when I first started in 2007 when I first started using Apple computers, I got super into the idea of it, and I started just, just you know, kind of discovering who Steve Jobs was, and and I watched this um, kind of uh, documentary about. It was called Triumph of the Nerds, and it was all about Gates and um, and and Jobs and their rise. And uh, at the end of it, they interviewed Bill Gates. So it's like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when I watched this. So it must have been two thousand four or five when they interviewed Gates. Mm-hmm. And he's like, eh, there'll be a time here in the next five years where people don't watch a TV show when it's on. Yeah. They'll just go to they'll just go to a device, probably a Windows computer, and they'll say, okay, I want to watch all of this new TV show I like. Yeah, and it'll just come over the internet. It won't come over the broadcast waves or cable. And I thought, this guy's out of his fucking mind. That's never gonna happen. We were ripping movies from DVDs. No one wanted that kind of storage mm-hmm. sitting somewhere, but like it's all streaming. And I'm like, and at the time, streaming was not anything to write home to mom about. Yeah. Why would any of that be real? But it's all fucking real. And now, I mean, if I think about it now, like we binge watched House of Cards, we binge watched Orange is the New Black, and it's just, it's just accepted. Like the big, the big news was that um, Laura Pepon or whatever her name is from. The chick from that '70s show that's on Orange Is the New Black. 
Mm, like there was okay. a big article about how she wasn't in much of season two, but she's going to be in every episode of season three. And it's like, wow, they really buried the lead there. There's going to be a season three. Well, <laughs> that's not the lead anymore. <laughs> right. Of course there's going to be a season right. three. Yeah, exactly. This is a... Uh, I'm going to segue this. I'm segueing. We ready? I'm, okay. I'm, I'm waiting for this. That's a, a lot hand. like ebooks. Heavy-handed <laughs> segue. Well, no. It, it actually, the, uh, the segue is that um, Amazon just is getting near a resolution with uh, Warner Brothers. They mm-hmm. were in a little debacle as well. But uh, uh, the reason I bring it up is because, you know, here we now have all of this content is coming to us digitally. And I think that traditional makers of this content are starting to freak out. They don't know what to do. Like if you're, you know, Warner Brothers or Universal or one of these big companies and you know, subscriber-based Netflix starts pumping out a show that wins every Emmy mm-hmm. and more and more people are cutting cable, what do you do? I haven't had cable for six years. I haven't missed a single show, not one. Yeah. I'm completely up to date on everything everybody else is up on for half the price. And cable companies are freaking out. You know, especially with new with what we talked about before about the internet and net neutrality and potentially new companies popping up in various cities. I live in Portland, and they just uh, signed the deal to have Google Fiber come to the city. Mm-hmm. So it's like now there's new people entering the fray, and I think these publishers are freaking out. They're trying to find ways to find to publishers like the people that the, make TV shows, people that make stuff, right? So you why? know, why why wouldn't they be excited? They're not excited because you're taking you're taking their money away, man. You're cutting into their their profit margin. Why? So if, if you can produce a show for ABC, why not just produce a show for networks? You could, for Netflix because Netflix doesn't Netflix doesn't want you. If you're okay, so if you're Netflix, you've you've now completely bypassed the studio system, right? You've completely bypassed all of the uh, corporate a holes. You've completely bypassed all the producers. You've bypassed all those people. You're the money now, right? And now you can go to the creators, the people who are producing the content that the people actually want, and say, hey, make this stuff for us, and we'll get out of your way. The biggest problem in Hollywood, and, and you ask any, uh, you know, anybody working there right now, and they'll probably tell you the problem is some inevitably some dude walks in the room and says, do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, that doesn't really, well, I'm the money, so you'll do what I say. And then you and all your team are scrambling to figure out how to get those things into, into your work without so you don't piss off the money, but still make a quality product. And something like something like Netflix, I mean, after uh, season one of House of Cards <laughs> took home all the Emmys and Spacey was on record saying, yeah, we don't really need studios anymore. We can go directly to our fans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That suddenly you're hitting a brick wall. And some people have skirted around it. They found little ways to do things. So now you have like, um, you know, like Louis. We've talked about him and his show before on, on a cable network. But a lot of that stuff, I believe, is online as well. Uh, or, at least is, or at least is for sale or available at different outlets. Mm-hmm. And again, Louis, sh- I can get it on iTunes. Yeah. Sh- super cheap to produce, man. Well, that's what I did with uh, Arrow, right? So yeah. I wanted to watch season two of Arrow. I missed it because I didn't get into the show until well after season two ended. Season one Ama- was free on Netflix. Amazing show, by the way. Love for it. For anybody listening. It's really, it's <laughs> oh, yeah, Brad, so much better. Way. It's so much better. It, it than is it on my be. list. 
Look, I'm not going to lie to you. There's parts of it that are very... It is like... Because I used to watch soaps with my mom. It was just something that we did together. So mm-hmm. I, I can tell you what happened in Guiding Light from <laughs> well, 89 to 93. <laughs> um, it's so much a soap opera. Yeah. There's the soap opera element to it. But wow, that's all, all the current shows, right? Yeah, yeah. there's a lot so, of... I didn't expect Arrow, which is a superhero thing, to have so much of... You have to talk to mom. You can't... And uh, But I love him. Like, I didn't expect that in it. Yeah. But I love it. It's <laughs> I like to call it my stories. <laughs> well, it's the, it's the resurgence of serial drama, right? Yeah. Like, it's all coming back now. That's what people want. They don't want the one-off anymore. They don't want the momentary distraction. They want a long-term distraction. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It's good. Uh, I'd watch it. Anyway, I, I I think that that stuff like this is leading to these disputes with with companies like Amazon, and you know everybody's talking about the the whole Amazon hashe thing right now. But it, this is happening on other Amazon and Warner Brothers are just now starting to come to a resolution. Amazon was not moving Warner Brothers DVDs for a while because they don't make enough profit off DVDs, uh, and they were in a contract debacle as well. It, it didn't make as many headlines, but I think they've. They've either come to or are close to coming to an agreement now. On and uh, you, you know, need to explain start. the hatchet, hatchet yeah, stuff to me. Okay, you gotta uh, well, explain it to me because I still don't really understand what the fuck the outrage. You know, is about. Uh, I've I've raged on this a couple times to you, Scott and Brad, and I I've avoided raging on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Although I might get a little ragey if we're going to talk about this, but. My my rage tends to come from an un, an un or ill informed public, and that's where I am right now with Hache and and Amazon mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of people are very mad at Amazon, uh, and I th- I think they're unduly mad. I think they're mad and they don't realize why. And I think they're I think they're mad, and uh, I I feel like lately people are mad because they need something to be mad about. They just need to be angry about something, and they, <laughs> they're they not even sure what it is. So whatever happens to come along that they can be pissed off about, they're going to. Corey, um, you've met the internet. Internet, have you met Corey? <laughs> <laughs> I, but this is, this is, to me, this is a bigger deal. And, and part of the reason why is because Amazon controls such a, a massive market share. And... Uh, because we want them to, because we made them. That Absolutely, way. because because we have made them that way. We, as the consumer, have said we want to get all of our stuff in one place. Two clicks. And you two fucking clicks, yeah. crazy. Hey, it's got to be one click. One click. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what we've said, right? And uh, I remember when all this first started, Scott, you and I were talking about it. I was laughing at it because no, nobody was talking about this. Like Hache and Amazon were in dispute. And books were harder to get on Amazon because Amazon is a vendor and, uh, you know, Ashe is a publisher. So they have to ship books to Amazon. Amazon moves them. But if they're in a contract debacle, then all that's going to slow down. And the longer the the contract debate goes on, the worse, the harder it's going to be to get books because Amazon at some point is going to be out of stock and they're not going to be ordering again until the new contracts are negotiated. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, they're going to be in this long-term thing. exactly what happened. And nobody gave a fuck. Until you couldn't buy J.K. Rowling's new book. Yeah. Uh, or the Silkworm or whatever. Nobody cared. Nobody. 
There were some authors that were no, a little and upset. Clarify, and clarify, clarify. People could still buy her book. They just couldn't oh, buy yeah, it from absolutely. Amazon. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Right. Here's the thing. And it's they, not that they couldn't buy it online. Right. There was a they, ton of books online well, retailers and it's not, that would we're love not even to talking about Amazon's business. Yeah. We're not even talking about buying it right now. We're talking about pre-ordering it. The book is not out. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a pre-order scenario. So people were mad because they could not pre-order J.K. Rowling under her pseudonym, which I think is Gail Braith or Braithwaite or something like that. They couldn't order. They couldn't pre-order her new book. Now, important to note, they could pre-order her new book from Barnes and Noble, from her Books pseudonym and Noble, is from R.K. Powell's. Is Jowling <laughs> from uh, from Bookman's. From, I, I mean, any number of online sources, not to mention walk into any of your local independent bookstores and uh, buy it there. I don't have a bookstore in my town, Corey. So <laughs> nice uh, try. I'm, I'm sorry. You have a really small town? Well, then you have Hastings. Nope. Uh, nope. Oops. Sorry. There's all these online. So what it boiled down to was people were unwilling to take 30% discount off of a new hardcover versus 40% discount. People were unwilling to create a new account somewhere. People were unwilling. Anyway, it turned into a... Amazon is this horrible, evil person doing terrible stuff. And it turned into that because Hache uh, has a marketing arm and Amazon does not. Mm-hmm. Amazon famously has no PR or marketing people. Um, it's they, they have one guiding principle as a company, and that principle is to you know, get the lowest price for our consumer. And to okay, them... Okay, so explain real quick. So, so why is there a dispute between Hache and Amazon right now? Uh, okay, so we'll have to, let's see. Uh, first, let's lay the groundwork for the book industry, right? Because I think this is where people get confused and don't know what the fuck is going on. And then they take to Twitter and say stuff that makes people like me roll our eyes. Uh, and then they get retweeted like 10,000 times and it's taken as fact. Mm-hmm. Um, because the press doesn't check things. Anyway, uh, easy, <laughs> different com- different <easy>. conversation. <laughs> so... Uh, the first thing to understand is the book industry, right? So the way the book industry works is there are um, there are a series of publishers. These are the people who make books. And they have in, – in a publishing house, you've got editors and you've got people who get the books printed and then they, then they ship the books via distro to vendors. Amazon is a vendor. Books uh, are made of paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Books are made of paper. Amazon's a vendor. There's lots of other vendors. There used to be other big vendors like um, like Barnes and Noble, for instance, or Borders. Obviously, those companies are smaller and or don't exist. But of all the publishers in the world, there are five big ones. There used to be six, but now we're down to five. There's uh, Hache, which is the one that we're going to be talking about a lot. They're they're owned by a French conglomerate whose name I would butcher at best. Um, and they're like these are multi. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's something like it's something like that. It's I think it's Lagrange La, La or something. Anyway, uh, keep in mind when I say there are five big publishers, I'm talking multi-billion-dollar yeah. publishers. I, these are not. This is not when you with this Amazon Heche thing. This is not the little guy versus the big guy. This is the multi-billion-dollar corporation versus the multi-billion-dollar corporation. These are massive worldwide conglomerates fighting each other. Uh, so there's Hache, there's HarperCollins, Macmillan, uh, Penguin Random House, which used to be two different companies, mm-hmm. uh, and they recently signed a deal and merged, and then uh, SNS, Simon & Schuster. So these five book publishers publish almost every book that comes out. 
<laughs> and and you go, ah, but Corey, what about, you know, Little Brown? What about Grand Central? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. All those companies are owned by Hache. Owned by Hache. Yep. So, wow. Hache owns Grand Central, um, Little Brown, Faith Words, uh, Central Street. What else? Orbit, Yen Press. They own Yen Press. I mean, Hache owns all of these smaller imprints. A lot of them. And in fact, in the news today, they're about to buy Perseus, another major book publisher. So Ashe, huge company, right? All these other companies, huge companies. Uh, eBooks started in like 2007-ish when the Kindle launched. So Amazon put out this little thing called a Kindle. And it, was, it wasn't the first e-reader. But it was the first e-reader that you had a digital direct link to the store. Hmm. Every every e-reader before the Kindle, you had to plug it into a laptop. So you had to like make your purchase somewhere. So you know, make your purchase at mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble, and then you get a digital file. And then there were like five different kinds of digital files to boot. So you know, it was will this digital file work with my e-reader? It was like the early days of MP3 music players before the iPod ruled everything, where it was like what what player can can use what file type, that kind of thing. Yeah. The same problem. So this is pre-2007. As of 2007, the Kindle comes out. It's got direct store link. So you've got a little, you know, you've got Wi-Fi device in it. uh, Or uh, it wasn't 3G at the time, but mobile device. And you can connect directly to Amazon store, buy a book and download it. By 2010, Amazon had 90% of the ebook market. Mm -hmm. 90%. Almost, almost every ebook sale was happening on a Kindle. <laughs> all of it, uh, uh, like all of it, it was crazy. Uh, and then Apple launched iBooks in the same year. So, like by 2010, Apple puts out iBooks, uh, and within a year, all of a sudden, Kindle dips down to like 60 percent of the market, maybe. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Apple was still the short runner. Like they only had like 10 or 15% of the market. And Barnes & Noble was still a big player. They had the nook and they had like 25, 30% of the market, right? Um, and it was one of those scenarios where it's like this new player comes in the field and all of a sudden the entire playing field changes. And this goes on for a couple of years. And finally somebody goes, this is weird. Like something's not right. And when I say somebody, I mean somebody federal, as in the Department of Justice. <laughs> Uh, well, that got me. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> when the DOJ gets involved, it's a funny thing, right? So the DOJ starts poking around uh, into iBooks because, you know, Apple's a big company, but it's very unusual for a company to launch a new product. They had the iPad already, but they had no digital store, right? So iBooks being a direct digital store was a big deal. And for them to steal so much of the market and to completely level the playing field was weird. And what they uncovered was that Apple was price fixing with the big five. That's Whoa. right. That's I, I so, remember reading about that, but I didn't understand yeah. it real well. Okay, so this was just a couple of years ago. Basically, Apple was coming out of the market with iBooks, and they went to, uh, at the time there were six publishers, because Penguin and Random House were separate. They went to the big six, and they said, hey guys, here's the deal. Uh, how's, e- how's eBooks going for you? And they all went, eBooks suck. We hate eBooks. We like mass market paperback editions because mass market paperback editions cost 7 to $10. They go out to the bookstores. They even go out to Amazon. We, we print them for a penny a pop because we're printing you know, millions of these fucking books. Mm. And we make a, you know, and then we've got this whole chain of people getting paid. 
Because the deal with the publishers, you've got middlemen upon middlemen upon middlemen. So it's like you're sending the books to China, the books come back, they've got all your middlemen in shipping, then you've got all your middlemen in the warehouses, then you've got all your middlemen between you and the publisher, then you've got all the middlemen between the, the distro and the vendor. And what ends up happening is all these people are getting a little piece, right? right. Everybody getting a little taste. <laughs> Everybody getting paid. Everybody likes to get paid. <laughs> well, you introduce ebooks, and all that shit goes out the window. Suddenly, as a conglomerate, if you're a multi-billion-dollar conglomerate, you're you're losing money. Right. The only one making money here is Amazon, and even Amazon, on a book, on most books, they're losing their shorts. Really? They. Oh yeah, they make all their money off of everything else. Well, yeah, uh, but how? What are their costs? I mean, is it server costs? That's uh. Well, uh, no, the, 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 you know, every, every, and this is where the contract debate comes into, into play. So like every book deal has a different percentage that the, you'll, you'll do a, a wholesale deal with your publisher and you'll say, you know, Amazon will say to Hache, we want to sell books at 40% off because we have this, we say to our customers, we will, we will give you the best prices and 40% seems to be where we need to be or less, right? We want to discount more heavily when the book first comes out. And you need to give us those books. You need to wholesale us those books at 40% of their cost. You need to give us a 60% discount. So now already Amazon's in the red, Mm -hmm. right? So what they try to do is they get Hache to give them a little bit better deal on the discount because they're moving such large volumes of books. Mm. You see where I'm going with Mm -hmm. So ebook revenue for most publishers, as of last year, ebook revenue was about 20% of any publisher's revenue and came in at about $3 billion. So there's a lot of money to be had here. Yeah. Uh, and most of it is is going out the window. you know. But Amazon doesn't care because you buy a book, but then you buy a TV. Right. <laughs> and right, they right. make money they're, off the TV. Well, and, and obviously the, this last few months, if it shows anything, that has worked because as we see, people want to buy through Amazon now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So here's here's what happened with the whole price fixing thing. The DOJ starts poking around and they find out that Apple, when iBooks launched, they went to the big six and they got five of the six to participate. Random House was the only one who wouldn't play ball. And they said, all right, publishers, if you all secretly agree to set a fixed price for eBooks, that none of you will bend on this price. So we'll have no competition among the big five. Mm-hmm then we will fix the price on the on the iPad, on iBooks. That will also fix the price on Amazon. It'll fix the price on BNN. It'll fix the price everywhere. And when that happens... But Amazon didn't agree to that. But uh, Amazon did agree to that. That was their... Oh. That was their... Uh, that was their negotiating tactic at the time. When all five... Five of the six people who publish almost 100% of the books in the world all say... The price in contract negotiation, I'll say the price of ebooks is fourteen ninety nine, mm-hmm. and nobody's willing to bend. That's why the DOJ got involved, because Apple got them to agree to that contract with them, but they also got them to agree to that contract with Amazon, with BNN, with every online retailer. So what what Apple had done is they had gone to the big five and said, "Hey, look, guys, here's the deal: just price fix at fourteen ninety nine, and instead of doing a a normal publisher model." do an agency model, agency pricing. So when you do agency pricing, it's where the publisher sets the price instead of the retailer setting the price. So no, like right with Amazon, the retailer sets a price. Amazon sets a price at 40% off, right? Mm-hmm. With with the agency model, the publisher is going to the vendor and saying, we'll sell you this book, but you have to sell it at this much. Any discount off of this price 
is in your is that's on your head, not our head. So when five of the six major publishers do that to you, you're you've got your hands behind your back. You're tied. So if everyone agrees, like if every webcomic artist agreed all at once that in order to view a webcomic, you had to pay me a penny mm-hmm. and nobody broke the line. Right. Nobody. People would pay it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. exact same thing happened, right? All the publishers of, of books went in to negotiate with Amazon and BNN and a bunch of other companies and price fixed at a certain price. Now, BNN didn't care because, you know, who fucking cares? We're just happy to be here, we're, right? Yeah, we're, 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 yeah, exactly. They're surprised the, the, keeping the lights on at this point. Yeah, the, the nook was flailing at best, yeah. and they were happy to have 25% of the market share. Apple comes in like a bull in a china closet immediately it's up 10% of the market share and Apple is the only one making money because the way that they did mm. the deal was con- con- uh, agree to do agency pricing only and we'll just do what we do on our app store which is we'll just take 30% exactly. so we won't even we won't even buy from you there won't even be like the normal publishing model we'll just take a cut so the only people making money in this deal were the big publishers in Apple. Of course, the DOJ comes in and says, no, 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 no. You can't price fix. Yeah. <laughs> like, we have laws against this. Hmm. Here, here's where it gets messy. That's illegal. <laughs> yeah. You where, goofs. Where it gets really messy is the big five settled out of court. Oh, really? The big five, yeah, the big five went, all right, you caught us. Uh-huh. And Apple said, fuck you, there's nothing illegal about this. <laughs> Really? I, yes. I missed that part of the story no, completely. So, so Apple goes to court and gets just nailed, just yeah. decimated. And everybody, uh, as as part of the uh, the damages, according to the DOJ, so they said to the big five, look, you damaged the free market. You're going to pay fines. So you're going to pay people who have bought your books money mm-hmm. to the tune of like 67 to, I 70, remember that. to 70 million dollars back into the pockets of consumers who yeah. bought money over the last couple of years. You're going to pay them back. Uh, and not only that, you're going to you're we're going to force you to renegotiate your contracts with all other vendors. And as part of that renegotiation, you are not allowed to keep the terms of your previous contract. <sighs> So all the vendors, it's open season. Every vendor gets to renegotiate with you. This was like two years ago, two, three years ago, mm-hmm. right? So when that happened, well, now the tables are turned and Amazon's got all, it's got five of the six over a, ta- over a barrel. Wow. So now Amazon can come out swinging and they negotiated great prices. There's a, I, I saw a chart recently of the cost of eBooks from, um, what was it to it's the 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 slowly dropping price of ebooks from the time the DOJ thing happened until currently and we went from about 13 bucks an ebook down to like 7 that's amazing in the course of like a year or two and the reason why is because now there was competition in the market mm-hmm. now these people had to compete with one another right um but <laughs> the you know the obviously the the dispute now is that all these contracts are coming up they're all up for negotiation again. Every couple of years, you renegotiate with your vendors. So now this contract that was unfavorable when Hashay negotiated with Amazon is up again, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, they're the first of the contracts to negotiate. The other thing that the DOJ did is they said, you can't all negotiate your contracts at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably wise. <laughs> right. So now all the big five, there used to be six, but Random House bought Penguin. So they're not, they're now together, or Penguin bought, I think Random House bought Penguin. So they're together now. Uh, 
now the big five have to renegotiate. Hache is first on, on the chopping block. So the reason why Hache and Amazon are duking it out so hard is because whatever happens with Hache is going to happen with the other four. Right. Hmm, okay. and this, this is this is the thing that people don't realize, right? So on a consumer standpoint, they're just grousy because Hache, uh, and they're not even one of the stronger of the big five publishers, someone might argue, because they make the majority of their money off of hit fiction. So for every 10 books that they publish, every every 11th book is a hit and all the other 10 are stinkers, right? Mm-hmm. They, they make their money by big, big hit books. And big hit names. So they have like a stable of a bunch of authors you've never heard of and two or three massive fiction guys. Um, Here's where, for me as a business guy, shit starts to get weird and coincidental. So they start negotiating. Amazon is, as someone who's negotiated with them before, they're mostly run by computers. Yeah. (laughs) Like there's no people. There's no humans. If you want to talk to Amazon, it's going to take you a while to get a body, right? To get a warm (laughs) body. Yeah. Uh, you're, You're mostly talking to Hal. And he's a big red eye, and he doesn't have a lot of emotion in his voice, and he's I, not willing to I negotiate. I don't think you need to right. do that, Dave. <laughs> you will offer me 40%, Dave. Uh, you know, there's not there's not a lot that's going to happen there. So they've obviously got a human on board. They're one of the big dogs, and they're talking to them. And as this is happening, as this negotiation is panning out, the algorithms that run Amazon are just slowly turning, turning over Hache books into what they are. So... This all became public because Hache said Amazon is being mean. Mm-hmm. They're being mean. They took our books off the front page. They're no longer recommending our titles. They're recommending other titles from other publishers on pages with our books. Mm-hmm. And Amazon kind of shrugged and went, well, that's what the computer's designed to do. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like your book's more expensive. Uh, one of the big selling books that was in debate was like a, a diet and weight loss book. It's like a 25-day diet book. And Hache was pissed because you go to that book's page and right above that book, they're like, here's other books we recommend to you that are all diet books from different publishers. <laughs> and Hache was furious. And Amazon was like, what do you want us to do? We can't fulfill the order on this book. It will take us like three weeks to get this book to anyone. The computer is automatically saying, here's a ton of other books that are exactly the same for half the money that we'll ship to you in 24 hours. And we hours. can get them to you quicker, yeah. Yeah. Like our job is to support our consumers, our job is to hit 40%, mm-hmm. right? So then, I mean, this is where the debacle starts. And normally, when you negotiate, nobody knows what the hangup is. Nobody knows what the terms are, right? Just like a week ago, and this is why I wanted to talk about it, somebody from Hache spilled the beans. Mm. And, and what? They, a whistleblower? Yeah. yeah, dude. They came out and said what they're... And, and that in and of itself is borderline illegal. They talked to the New York Times uh, during a contract negotiation. New York Times, of course, is not naming their source, mm. um, but it's someone close to the inside. Ah. And again, they're like... they're they're To me, I read this and they're just pouting. So according to them, Amazon is balking over the price of eBooks, obviously, mm-hmm. right? This is where we're going to fight. And co-op payments. What are so co-op payments? Co-ops are, in a traditional book market, a co-op, like if you ever, back in the day, several years ago, when Borders and Barnes & Noble used to exist, you'd walk into a bookstore, and at the front of house, like right when you walked in, there'd be a big-ass display, right? So like, big Harry Potter display, mm-hmm. or, you know, big, big whatever, big Game of Thrones display, whatever the hot book was. And in your head, you're like, oh, that's the hot book, so they're putting it up front to sell it. Right. No way, dude. Some publisher paid money 
to get that book up front. You had placements in bookstores, so like oh. end of aisle, end of aisle was a placement. You'd right. pay to be on the end of the aisle. The same way front, that food producers pay to have different placements in a grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. Front of house was a payment. At the register was a payment. Mm-hmm. Like all this stuff was a payment. Well, Amazon, who has has historically lost their ass on books, has co-op availability now. They have front page. You go to Amazon.com. Here's all the books we recommend. Oh. They have. Um, you know, they have uh, uh, various buttons that speed up delivery and process, that speed up ordering, that kind of stuff. So the people from Hache are pissed because they're saying Amazon is taking co-op payments and moving it into the realm of stuff that should just be acceptable, like like an order button. So they're saying, you know, there's not any other bookstore in the world you can't walk into and pre-order a book. Mm-hmm. Well, half true. There's, a, I think it's called the Stop Program, but there's basically... Uh, back in the day, you know, when they had this vendor problem with physical bookstores, publishers made a deal with physical bookstores and said, all right, you, you don't have to carry our book uh, because it doesn't have a nice jacket or, or, you know, or you're a sci-fi bookstore and you don't carry mysteries or whatever. But w- let's all agree that if somebody walks in and asks you to order the book, you'll order it for them. Mm-hmm. Amazon is using one of their pre-order buttons as like a co-opt button. So they're saying there's no reason for us to pre-order books that we don't want to pre-order. Uh, we don't have to participate in this program that everyone historically has participated in because we move a lot of other stuff. And if you want priority placement on your pre-order button, you can pay, you can sweeten the pot a little bit and pay us a little bit for this, wow. right? Well, now that's that's <clears throat> a, that's according to Hache. Mm-hmm. That's according to a whistleblower who, it's not even a whistleblower, that's according to a leak, mm-hmm. an unnamed source inside <laughs> Hache that claims that Amazon is doing this. There's, And this is something to keep in mind in all the news stories you read. There is no proof of any of this shit. Wow. Yeah. Zero. There is zero, with the exception of New York Times, who says that they have a person who's close to the inside, who has a source, no other publisher knows what is going on. When I say that you know Amazon today makes up 50-ish percent or 60-ish percent of the entire ebook market, that is a vague figure because there are other people reporting that they still make up 80 to 90 percent of the ebook market. Wow! Because Amazon's not reporting their numbers. Why would they? You see what I'm saying? Right. Like you, you would have to collect a lot of data to get this stuff. So every article that you read, every source, everything everywhere, it's there's no way to know <laughs> whether or not this stuff is true. Now, the what's interesting about this debate for nerds like me is that both companies, both Amazon and Hache, are losing a shit ton of money right now. Mm-hmm. Like in the millions. I mean, just... So how is this Amazon's fault if this whole negotiation is because they were price fixing? Uh, well, the Why whole is Amazon the villain and not these guys that all got together to fuck customers over? <laughs> Uh, because Amazon does not have a PR department and never will. They it, it was historic news when they posted a a blog on a really weird and hard to find page on Amazon mm-hmm. to say that we don't discuss our negotiations. We, we every two years we talk to vendors. We have seventy thousand vendors, and each of them has a different negotiating process. You know, we're sorry this is affecting our customers. They even said in their post. Here's a bunch of other places to buy Hache's books. <laughs> I mean, straight up said, you can buy them other places. So, like, wow. Amazon is willing to say, go buy them elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, but, and 
um, I mean, it's not to say that Amazon is not a corporate behemoth. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are plenty of other shit to be mad at Amazon about. There are questionable working conditions at a lot of Amazon factories. There's, I mean, there's plenty of stuff to be mad at Amazon about. But in my opinion, this is not one of them. Huh. Uh, the other thing, and this this just happened recently, and this is what made me want to talk about this today and what has kind of raised my eyebrow. So Hache is now about to purchase um, Perseus, uh, which is another publisher. But Perseus uh, is like one of the country's largest trade publishers of nonfiction, mm-hmm. whereas Hache is one of the largest fiction publishers. And they're a fiction publisher who's reliant on hits. So like Hache right now is losing their pants because they aren't able to sell Rowling's new book on Amazon. I mean, they're losing millions because yeah. of this, millions and millions of dollars. Amazon, of course, is also losing millions and millions of dollars because they also cannot sell this book because of their ongoing negotiations and they're both playing hardball tactics right now. Well, suddenly out of the blue, Hache buys this nonfiction company that makes the majority of their money money on like travel books. I mean, they, Perseus is also massive conglomerate. They have twelve or thirteen imprints, I think, mm-hmm. but they make all of their money on on like non a lot of nonfiction titles, a lot of like travel books and stuff like that. They have a couple of imprints that have uh, some perennial bestsellers, like I think. Um, Friday Night Lights is one of their books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roy Friedman, Kim Baranun. These like these big names exist here, right? the The fact that this happened now to me does not feel coincidental. Like Hache is upping the odds right now, right? They're up. Uh, they're they're not upping the odds. They're upping the stakes. Mm-hmm. They're basically like if you can't buy a Hache book and and then Hache buys Perseus, well now you can't buy a Perseus book either because we're still in negotiations here, right? Right. And you don't buy somebody overnight. So so this it, the, is going to make things stretch on for even longer. The longer this goes on, the more I feel like it's orchestrated. Like at the, at the, at the fear of sounding like a, a conspirator crazy guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, feels very, it feels very much to me like Hache knew exactly what they were doing when they started negotiating. The other book publishers, I don't know, I don't want to imply that they're colluding again i'm sure the doj is watching this very closely this Mm -hmm. time around but they sure as shit know what's going on right they know that hache is about to enter negotiations so they're all just sitting on their hands waiting for their turn to come around and then all of a sudden hache is buying perseus which is is like turning them from one of the you know one of the meteor size medium sized like big five into one of the larger big five because now they're going to control both hit non but hit so not hit fiction and nonfiction. when i see like jerry conway or mark wade being like this is terrible for publisher for creators why is that yeah i'm sorry guys you don't know what the fuck you're talking about i if I read one more Conway thing, I'm gonna smack. It. <laughs> trying, trying not to rage. There's been he has produced single-handedly so much just wrong and misinformation. Really? <laughs> oh God, he makes me crazy. All right, I'm gonna get off. I'm not gonna. Well, talk I saw. About it. I saw. It came across my uh, radar once, but then I kind of, you know, I, I I skimmed it and was like, nah, all right. I, God, but he's I, but just, it's been going on since then, huh? He's just constantly putting out wrong-headed, incorrect, and just claiming that shit to be fact. He's wow. almost as bad as all the press. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, man. Um, 
I'm sorry, Scott. What was your question? <laughs> I just didn't understand. Like, I mean, this Here's, is again. This comes back to everything we've talked about before. The right. net neutrality, everything. I'm yeah. I'm very anti outrage. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. So when everyone's outraged about this, and I'm like, "Wow, what's the information on this? How does so much of the internet know every detail about this?" And I'm just hearing of it. Right. Um. But when I see like. People like Mark Wade or Jerry Conway or different people saying, well, here we go. This is really fucking over creators. I keep waiting for them to explain how, and I never hear how. Uh, okay, so short term, how it's fucking over creators. Anyone published by Heche is not going to be moving as many books. Now, uh, just to play devil's advocate here, and because some of these authors who have been very loud voices have made this bed, and now I want them to lay in it for a while. Before we give them an out, mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about the Amazon affiliate program real quick. We all know what this is, right? Yeah. This is if somebody clicks a link from your website to Amazon, you you get a percentage. Okay, you're getting you're talking twenty percent, and not just of the book that you sent them there to get anything else they purchase. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Most authors have a pretty standard book deal in which they get an upfront payment from their publisher followed by a percentage of of cover price when a book sale sells. So just for easy math, let's say that percentage is 10%. And let's say their book uh, is, uh, let's say it's a $10 book, which is just for easy math, right? They're, they get a buck every time that book sells, okay? Regardless of where it sells. Now let's say they have a huge following on Twitter and their blog. And if they set up an affiliate program, they can send somebody over to buy that book well, now they're double dipping. They're getting a buck from the publisher and 20 cents from Amazon. Well, let's say that person goes and buys a TV too. Well, now yeah. they get a percentage of that. Yeah. Okay. So all these authors were, were saying with one hand, oh, go support your indie bookstores. This is five, six years ago. And with the other hand, we're setting up a fucking affiliate program. Well, now guess what, guys? Now you get to suck it a little bit because you made this beast. You mm-hmm. made this monster, right? You sent all your fans to this guy and now you're in a contract debacle. And now the, the money has stopped flowing. Sorry. <laughs> and you want to know who's the one, the one dude that did it right? Who? Stephen Colbert. I he, saw that. He went on his show. He gave Amazon the finger. And he said, go to Powell's. <laughs> oh, really? And Powell's is it's now the, the best-selling book that Powell's has ever had mm-hmm. in the history of the bookstore. Pals.com. I, Go check it out. Uh, my new, my new in-laws bookstore. would my in-laws would not let me live it down if I didn't mention they they've been telling me about Powell's for years. They exclusively buy from them because they have such good labor relations. They're extremely yep. good to their workers, and they're, so they refuse to do anything through Amazon. They're Powell's all the way. They're a Portland-based. Um, they're a, a Portland-based book vendor. Uh, they're called, I think, Powell's City of Books is the big one downtown. It takes up a, an entire city block. It's, I think, five stories tall. Every floor has a different kind of section to it. It's amazing. They deal in both new and used and technical books, so you can get technical books there. Pals.com has a great website. It's easy to use. I buy a lot of books there. And <coughs> the one author who did it right, and this is after BEA. I mean, I've, Excuse me. I've, kept my mouth shut on this for a while <laughs> and people who people who know me know that this was difficult for me not to get very ragey 
And I'm only now in a place where I can talk about it without being really angry. But uh, Pals has always been a great place and always been available. And all these authors were sending people to Amazon because it's and and the affiliate thing is i mean i'm not saying everybody's doing this but it's really easy to send somebody to amazon it's the place to get your book you can get it for kindle you know you make just as much money as anywhere else most people have amazon accounts like it's a no brainer that's well and you're, you're told as an author that i mean i can't tell you how many times i was told even when i was with image there are some people that won't buy anything unless it's off amazon uh because they can buy everything there and that's where they want to buy it and so that's you mm-hmm. you don't want to lose out on that market. So yeah. I mean as publishers, as creators, you kind of get not pushed, but you 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 kind of hear the don't miss out on that market. You know, that's a lot of people. You yeah, know? well yeah, you can't fault somebody for going to where the money is. No, no I, absolutely absolutely not. No, I, I absolutely not. But, but what what I get upset about is is and this is what I don't want to see from surviving creativity listeners <laughs> is I, you know when I see someone saying well looks like Amazon's just going to hold book hostages no oh, they're up. not shut up <laughs> they can't hold a book hostage because you can buy books other places well yeah. no no I can't uh uh sorry this is a real argument I had no I um Amazon's the I'm only place s- that I can order a book. Why? This was on this was on Twitter. You and I were yep. both part of this. Some guy tried to convince us the the only place he could get a book was Amazon. Oh, for crying! Well, out. there's in my town. There's not a bookstore. Well, then BarnesandNobles.com, Powell's yeah. Books. Yeah, um, book, books and books a million. Hastings, are you in a small town? Yeah. Hastings. Any any of those people would love your business right now. Nope, sorry, can't. Since not since the burning of the Library of yeah. Alexandria has so much knowledge <laughs> been. Shut the fuck up. Well, and here's here's why I like what Colbert did. And it's funny because after my little rant there, most people listening to this are going like, wait a minute, Corey, you're on Amazon's side. How can you well, like Well, I was going to ask you about that because it really did sound that way. <laughs> There's not... It's I'm contract- on Amazon's side. Listen, this is a contract negotiation between two behemoths that we know nothing about. For mm-hmm. all we know, the New York Times source is total bullshit. Like, is it... Is it hard for I knew that it, we were talking about the price of ebooks and co-opting before the source told us. Mm-hmm. Of course that's what you're talking about. The, Amazon is an online vendor. We're not going to talk about better distro rates or better warehousing prices. What else do you have to fucking negotiate about? Thanks Obama. Of, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> like of course this is about ebooks and co-opt. Like this is just a no-brainer. The, it doesn't it just doesn't <laughs> Maybe I'm lucky because I'm I've never been stuck at a publisher. And even was when I was with Image, I had such freedom because Image just is really great about that. Mm-hmm. But um and their contracts don't really lock you in. But like if Amazon is not a great place to sell ebooks anymore, I'll just sell a DRM free PDF to my f- fans directly. That's the truth. Yeah. Like it's just not it, the 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 it's such a non-issue here. Listen, it's not. It's not that it's a non-issue. It's the issue is that a lot of these authors and the publishers to included were making a ton of money off of a very expensive, highly uh, tweaked algorithm that would recommend stuff to people. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you're gonna pl- 
live by the sword, die by the sword. Buggers. Right. <laughs> and this is this is where this is where the problem comes in. The big now, giant corporation was great when they were all making money. Yeah, yeah. Hache didn't have a problem with Amazon when they were all making cash. Well, that's not actually true. That Hache was all the big five have been pissed at Amazon for the last couple of years because after the whole price fixing thing, when they had to renegotiate, they did not exactly get favorable terms, <laughs> or at least not as favorable as they want. And let's just back up a little bit here and talk about ebook pricing, okay? Ebook is supposed to replace the mass market paperback edition. And we've seen it. The, the numbers show it, okay? Mm-hmm. Because the the hardcover books have always been $30, $40 books. And people who want them go and get them. And and the prices, the prices on them have stayed relatively consistent. And the sales on them have stayed relatively consistent. And we can all thank Barnes & Noble for 30% off of hardcover books because they're the people who started it. Mm-hmm. Not Amazon, Barnes & Noble, right? That's hardcover. Mass market paperback editions are like seven to ten dollar. You know, the, they're the pocket books that you buy after a book's been out for a while, right? Right. Okay. Uh, publishers have determined after years of sitting on their hands and hemming and hawing and not knowing what to do because they're giant corporations, they've determined that ebooks are going to replace our mass market paperback editions. So, my question to you, loyal listeners, if you're going to replace a book that costs seven to ten bucks, what should the price of it be? Seven to ten bucks. <laughs> I'm sorry, no. It should be fourteen ninety nine, Scott, because well, that's what the so big... much more to print those ebooks. Yeah, it costs so much more, so much more to make a digital book that has no physical thing and to put it online and not warehouse it. Mm. Oh God, it's the worst. Is the pricing based on? The no, pricing, there's got to be more profit in an ebook. At damn straight, there's more profit in an ebook, which is why they want to raise their prices. Like, here's the thing: as technology moves forward, these big companies, these big conglomerates that have middlemen upon middlemen upon middlemen, where everybody used to get a taste, mm-hmm. nobody getting a taste anymore. There's no taste to go around. Like, I, we'll use our companies as ex- as an example. If Brad, if you hired four more people and gave each of them a job at your company, you'd all be bankrupt. Like <laughs> you, you would all, it. you none of you would make money. Yeah. Well, now compound that to a company that has ten billion a year in revenue, mm-hmm. and we're talking billions, kids, billions, not millions, billions. Hache makes in the billions. They are not. They're not a little, oh, don't hurt me, publisher. Right. They're not, they're making in the billions. Okay? The same with Amazon. Amazon is making in the billions. These are Goliaths fighting with universes right now. The the well, scary... Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> no, I was going to try to change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> to something equally as annoying. Oh, hold on. I have one more rant before you change the subject. Okay. And it's about it's about BEA. So this is Book Expo America. This is where everybody meets every year. It just give, happened, right? It just happened. People give time. And I've kept my mouth shut until BEA. And this is why I'm this is why I finally decided to talk about it. At BEA, a bunch of authors who I won't name had the fucking gall to get up on stage and say that the government should get involved with this Amazon thing. Hmm. These are the mm-hmm. same these are the same people who are constantly telling the government to get out of shit. Right. Okay. Right, right. To follow <laughs> just <laughs> am I reading in between the lines people of a certain political bent? Follow the dollar, okay? Mm-hmm. You mean these conservatives? People, 
No, that, well, that's I mean, what they, I hear when he says uh, people no, not, telling not, the not government to get out. I mean, they they range in political opinion. All right, but, all right. But these guys are the same guys who are going out and saying, "Well, don't make this a socialist state. Keep the government out of our arts. Mm-hmm. You know, keep the government from telling us what we can produce." Are now turning around and calling for the government to come in and stop a company who is doing something that is a hundred percent legal. Mm-hmm. There's nothing illegal happening here, and in fact. This, this because of the price fixing a couple of years ago by the company that everybody seems to be rooting for right now, hmm. this is probably the most heavily watched contract negotiation. It's the most heavily watched boring thing that happens. <laughs> you know, what's interesting to me is, is so PVP started 1998 and there was one website paying us a little bit of money. Um, then we went over to UGO, and UGO started paying me enough to where it was a salary, and I quit my day job, which is a scary thing to do because if you can't find someone to replace that money if a, a revenue source dries up, then you got to go get a day job again. Mm-hmm. So oh, every once in a while, it, it would something scary would happen. It would be like, uh-oh, hmm. I think UGO is going to go away. Now what? And... We would always just kind of have a come to Jesus talk, and met my wife and I, and Angie was like, "Ah, you know, you, you when Mpog went away, we found UGO. If UGO goes away, we'll find someone else. We'll adapt. We always find something." And I, mm-hmm. I think after like the second or third time, it was just like, "Oh well, we'll find something new." And now that you know the business has more legs under its under its table, there's a little more room to play with and and you say okay well this is kind of drying up maybe we'll move over here but it's amazing to me how there are creatives out there in the professional field that are just like well this is how i make money and it's a perfect system it's right. a perfect gem of a system and it'll never fail and it's awesome and it's, it's great oh what's happening now well i I, we've got to save it. Is, <laughs> save is, the system. This is ridiculous. Well, and in this case, they're not saying save the system. They're saying stop Amazon. And the thing that really fucking embroils <laughs> me is that they're saying stop Amazon because their claim is that at some point, Amazon is going to start uh, being a villain and tailoring what we see. So it's like, okay. Amazon is so big in the book industry now that if you put out a book, say Amazon suddenly goes political right, and you put out a right. book, say Amazon suddenly goes anti-gay and you put out a gay book, Amazon's just never going to show that book. And they, they control too much of the market. We have to stop someone from controlling. I mean, this is Ayn Rand shit right here, right? Right. The same artists a few years ago were saying like, get the government out of these negotiations mm-hmm. with Hache and mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. <laughs> because they were making more money when Hache was price fixing. Right. And it like, it's like, come on. I mean, come on. And and to what you said, Scott, what the the fallout of this is that there's all these new ebook retailers popping up. So there now there's uh, Zola Books. Who well, but the problem use. is these creators who are like, well, this is fucking the creator over, and, and well, here you go. Here's your new world order. Amazon can <laughs> fuck over creators. <laughs> And everyone's like, no, what's happening? We have to stop it. I don't really have anything that makes me interesting. And so this week it's going to be this. Amazon, no. Now it's Amazon. Now it's Amazon. Um, But those 
authors are pissed because they signed shitty contracts that mm-hmm. now they're stuck. Well, and, they, and it's not only that. They signed a, probably a pretty good contract with Hache. It's just Hache is in the middle of a, of a debate. And this well, goes back yeah, to... yeah, they're stuck. But that's yeah. not the fault of... No, absolutely not. That's, not the, and, that's the problem with the fact that they signed contracts that they're stuck in. Well, and the, the hard part, too, is like there's no way Hache is giving 100% of the information to their authors. No, of course not. No, they can't do it. Then they, and nor should they, because exactly. they're in the middle of a negotiation. Amazon certainly isn't giving out any information. They've been tight-lipped this whole time. Hache is now leaking information, but not really leaking any information. Or maybe they're not, because it's just as likely. No, no offense to the New York Times, but your track record hadn't been that great lately. It's just <laughs> as just as likely that your source is not a source. It's just somebody made some shit up so you could get some clicks. Yeah. Like, let's be, let's be honest here, right? These are the kind of events that we need for new people to come along. And it's already happening. Amazon is saying, go to other places. And all of their competitors are taking advantage. Mm-hmm. Zola Books yeah, is Yeah, look doing at what happened when that guy th- fucked up maps at Apple. And Apple yeah. made a thing. Of, hey, here's some other map apps you guys might like yeah. until we get our shit together. That's yeah. what happened. Because yeah, they're not, it's not going to hurt them. Yeah. No. Guys, it's going to be mean, okay. Let's change the subject to something that's equally as fucking crazy. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <coughs> Can someone explain to me? Why the Screen Actors Guild and Directors Guild give a shit about the Kirby estate? Because uh, I, I, I got a feeling it ain't just because they're morally outraged by this. I think there's something in there. Okay, can we all agree that Jack Kirby is dead and buried in the ground and we cannot get him more money? Yeah. Why, so the question is about uh, why the guilds are putting pressure on the Supreme Court to hear the Marvel character. Decision. So the Screen Actors Guild and the Directors Guild. Right, the DGA and the WGA and have, after Have, I guess, written a letter or something. Mm-hmm. But they've publicly um, shown support behind these fucking grandkids. They want to, the, the grandkids want to terminate the rights to Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and Avengers. Wow. Right. They want the copyright to revert back to right. them because they uh, created the Avengers. Oh, wait, no, it was their grandpa. But <laughs> apparently they don't want to get jobs or create things themselves. So, so um, anyway. And, and previously the courts have, have denied the efforts of the Kirby estate to terminate. So what they're searching for is a termination of copyright um, because the because Kirby at the time was doing freelance work. Right. Um, so they're trying to right. terminate the copyright. Which is that. fascinating. Like, right. The, the big question is, look, this is... This doesn't fall against the 78 work for hire thing. It was freelance work and blah, 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 blah. And even though my grandfather, when he was alive, was perfectly fine with Marvel and worked out a deal and and, and it was all settled. Now that he's six feet under, <laughs> we give a shit. Oh, wait, no, we didn't give a shit. It wasn't until all these movies started being made. Now we uh, all now give that a shit. The, now, yeah, now that there's money in play. Yeah. And, and yeah. what you said, just, to, just to, so we don't gloss over it, termination happens in copyright under the 1976 Copyright Act. But since he had signed, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, since he had signed a work for hire contract, the 1976 Copyright Act does not come into play. Um, that's a Katie question, but it sounds to me like yes. That's Katie's what that's probably, what's being said right Katie, now. Katie's gnawing on her desk right now, <laughs> and pun- and punching things. 
Because no one gave a shit about Rocket Raccoon, but yeah, now there's going to be a movie, so every Comics Alliance article reminds you <laughs> that Bill Mantlo created Rocket Raccoon, and he's dying, and, and Marvel's drum. not taking care of him, and then his brother comes in and says, uh, please stop saying that, because we have a wonderful relationship with Marvel, and they... They take care of Bill very well, and, and we're all very happy, so please, let's not sow any dissent that doesn't need to exist, because we're very happy with Marvel, and we're we're thrilled there's a movie, and the best thing you could do, this, is, this sounds crazy, the best thing you could do is go and enjoy the movie, <laughs> so that more Rocket Raccoon stuff is made, because uh, Marvel is not uh, a monster, it's a corporation, and, uh, and, and stop it. I'm sorry that you're... <laughs> headcanon where Angelina Jolie loves you and not Brad Pitt isn't fulfilling you this week and you need this but Bill is very happy so the, um, I you know I don't know about the work for high I don't know if that well comes don't worry about here. that what but what is the deal with the the screen actors guild suddenly from, giving a shit from what I understand it's they they want the they want the high court to hear it. So they want Supreme Court to hear it, basically. Why? And, and because it it affects uh, other forms of art. So like the 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 problem here is that until the high court makes a final final ruling, because other courts have made a ruling, there is um, because in, in American government all previous cases affect future cases. There's a situation in which uh, a piece of art like a comic book and a and a and a court ruling, uh, I think in this case it was one of the circuit courts in 2003, uh, ruling against the Kirby estate means that some other forms of art right. could be jeopardized, right? right. So the, I th- if I remember the ruling correctly, it's a matter of uh, statutory termination rights. So uh, and this, is where, this is where we need Katie. Well, hold on. Let me jump in because as you guys were talking, I, I was just scanning a, a piece here by the Hollywood Reporter, and it seems to do a pretty good job of, uh, of putting this into perspective from the Screen Actors Guild standpoint. Uh, so I'm going to quote here. For example, a review of Rolling Stones magazine's top 500 songs of all time reveals that nearly 75% were created prior to the effective date of the 1976 Act, says the brief. Of these, nearly 200 were created and released before these changes in the law. While not all of these songs will be subject to the same issues, for example, some may have been created with traditional employment relationship, it is inevitable that many share the characteristics of the relationship between Marvel and Kirby and thus will be subject to the same uncertainty or inequity as their statutory termination windows approach. Right. So to to summarize, the 1976 Act had a, a limitation on how long something could remain in copyright with someone before it reverted back to someone else or to public domain. Mm-hmm. And in the late 90s, there was a, a term extension act that happened that all, that basically Sonny extended Bono, the copyright. Right? I don't remember, but yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what what the fear is is that you know, Kirby's work was created under uh, a situation in which it's debatable, like how how he was hired or how he was employed or who owns what. And because of the extension, this copyright is not going to flap over anytime soon. So what um, SAG-AFTRA, DJ, and WGA are, are worried about is that 
this could apply to films. This mm. could apply to TV shows. This could apply. So now you've got this scenario in which, you know, uh, creators, actors, you know, whatever are copyright is going to fall in a studio and is just going to stay there indefinitely. Um, it's going to stay with a, with a company indefinitely instead of with an individual. Um, I mean, I guess that's a reason to get involved. I, I understand the, the concern. Uh, I don't know. I've just, I've never been the anti-copyright guy. I know there's a lot of like people that really like the whole copy left thing, but I just don't. <laughs> I think so much of it is wrapped up in emotion. And I think so much of the stuff you see online is wrapped up in this childish, con- these childlike concepts of fair and not fair. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I read a review recently, uh, this cartoonist review of the Jack Kirby play, and he was just really excited about how J- uh, how Stan Lee was really portrayed as the charlatan that he is. And it's like, <laughs> Stan Lee did not have anything to do with anybody making any money off of anything. He was the publisher at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, and maybe over the years, you know, he's he's said, oh yeah, I created Spider-Man. Because he had a part in it, and he doesn't—he doesn't mention that there were other people involved too, you know. But no one gets mad. But my question is, if if Stan and and Jack and uh, John Romita and Simon Joe Simon, if everybody all contributed to something, why is it okay for John Romita to say, "Oh yeah, I created the Black Cat," mm-hmm. and leave out, "I created it with this guy." Because he's an artist, but why is it not okay for Stan to say, "Oh yeah, I created the Fantastic Four. and and I mean, because he did, you know, mm-hmm. he had to help, yeah. but he did, and so I, I really feel like it's just this. Well, that's not fair. Very childlike. Well, that's not fair. How come Stan gets to be rich and Jack is dead? I tell you, man, too. It's uh-huh. a different. It's a different generation as well. With, uh, so I think with new technology, with the internet, we have this you know, unprecedented sharing of information. And there's definitely a generation of people that don't understand why information that's just out there cannot just belong to everybody. <laughs> like they can't, and I think part of it is that they tend to be younger and they haven't, they haven't uh, and, and I'd like to know too, when Scott says a, a child, childlike or childish notion. He's not saying that people are childish. He's saying that the the idea of fair and unfair. Well, is I, when as, I was a child, as, I thought as like if a child. from a child. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's just the idea that something is fair or unfair. But I think it's I just find, a lack of understanding of how things happen. And uh, yeah, well, and it's also creators. It's also we've been we. It, it, it's a pushback against how uh, how our economy has changed. In other words. Uh, and, and Scott, you and I have talked about this a lot, a, a long time. You know, our fathers and our grandfathers were raised in a time where you, you worked at the same company for, you know, 40 or 50 years, you retired, they gave you a gold watch and you retired on a pension. And this pension was money that the company had set aside to take care of you in your old age. And that's how it was set up. 
And over the past couple of generations, like my dad, his pension evaporated uh, that that he was supposed to get, and 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 me, I worked at a at a newspaper where I was supposed to get a pension, but then all of a sudden that money wasn't available, and my sons won't even know what a pension is. And this whole idea, and and how many? Okay, so put that over in one corner, and then take a look at how our view of the world hasn't really changed. How many movies have we all seen where that's the end, where where, where a company or, or, or somebody in a position of power comes in and takes care of all of the problems, you know, hey, either by discovering this person and says, I'm going to make you a star, and then it happens, or, you know, comes in and, and pays for the mortgage or the deed of the house and everything's okay. Uh, it's a pushback against both of those things. We've been told all of our lives and by our ancestors that this is how the world is going to work, and we're being shown in real life that it just isn't going to happen. Marvel is not going to just sweep in and. Well, look, I learned I learned my lesson with Dave Cockrum, mm-hmm. and I and I think it's just a matter of people just need to think some shit out. And that's why I got mad at this cartoonist that was like, I'm f- glad that I was, I'm glad that a bunch of playwrights who weren't alive during the <laughs> Jack's time at Marvel and who weren't there finally set the record straight. Even though Bermuda is senior and Stan are still alive and we can just ask them. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I'm so glad that this fucking dipshit who wrote a fucking play finally got it right. Um, <clears throat> but I guess. When when I I had an opportunity to see X two with Dave Cockrum, <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of that. Really, I had an opportunity. I went to. He was at a Houston convention, and I fill, went. Fill in the audience too on Dave Cockrum. Dave Cockrum was a uh, Marvel uh, creator in the seventies or eighties. He he um, he along with Chris Claremont invented um, the new X Men, the X Men that you know. So Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Storm. Uh, Thunderbird, Phoenix. Um, these were all designs that Dave had. They were characters that um, he had from before that he he brought over to use on X Men. He could have kept them for himself. Um, in fact, <clears throat> there was um, a Kickstarter I backed today where Ardwolf Publishing is going to continue some of Dave's work on a graphic original graphic novel that he did called The Futurians. Mm-hmm. And The Futurians was. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. The Futurians are basically his X Men ideas that he never used into X Men. One of the characters that's a uh, a mermaid like character named Silky was originally a design for the X Men, and when it didn't get used, he brought it over to Futurians. But anyway, the point the point is, um, Dave had uh, I think Dave died of diabetes complications from diabetes. He was having a really rough time in his later years, mm-hmm. and. He was in like a VA hospital. He was kind of broke and he was kind of dying slowly in a VA hospital. And the last convention that I had an opportunity to see him at, um, there was this group, I believe it was the same people doing this Kickstarter. They were selling a tribute book that you could you could buy and he was there kind of uh, it was to help him out and um and uh, he was there selling it and promoting it cuz he was hoping to get some money to help with his medical bills and stuff and there was a big push for Marvel to kind of step in and do something. I mean, X2 was just hitting the theaters, and there was Storm and Nightcrawler. And, I mean, X2 was premiering the weekend of this con. And everyone's like, Dave's really struggling. There's this tribute book out. 
how about, you know, since this movie's in the theaters making millions, we help out Dave. So he doesn't mm-hmm. have to go sit there and watch this thing happen on screen that he helped create and he doesn't get to be a part of. And um, so um, one of the guys that ran the show is like, hey, we're going to go see X2 with Dave tonight. Do you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I'll set my alarm. And I, I slept through the alarm. I drove five hours to Houston and I was so tired that I slept through the alarm. Mm-hmm. And I missed my opportunity to see X2 in a theater with Dave Cockrum. And <laughs> I'm very sad about it. But for the longest time, after seeing him and kind of seeing firsthand his plight, I didn't want to support the hero initiative. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what the fuck was the initiative? Well, <laughs> Dave Crockham was dying in diabetes in a VA hospital. It doesn't seem right. And so one of the guys at the time was asking for help, and I said, you know, I don't really like to support the hero initiative. I don't think it's cool. Like, eh, I don't really know what you guys do. And he's like, well, we, we help a lot of people. I'm like, well, you didn't help Dave Cockrum. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, we couldn't help Dave. I'm like, what? Really? He's like, he goes, well, first of all, the Hero Initiative never talks about, we never reveal who we help. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. You know, there's just a lot of concerns with that. And it's a private thing. And, yeah, it could, it could make problems. It, it could make it, problems. It could make PR problems, and nobody wants to deal with that when they're trying to help people. Mm-hmm. Well, there was, listen, that's it, true, because there was a time when I knew a lot of creators who, at the time, um, were very upset William Messner Lobes was being helped by the Hero Initiative because he uh, he was broke and having trouble paying his bills. And the consensus among some of these creators was, Bill's not, Bill can go get a job. Like, Bill can work. He's not destitute. <laughs> he's just, he's just being lazy. Like, why is, why are, anyway. Uh, it, so it can cause problems. But basically, the problem was the Hero Initiative couldn't help too much because, it would kill his VA benefits. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's always more to it than... Uh, yeah, there's always more to the story than it seems. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, like, nothing is ever as simple or cut and dry as it seems at first. And and I don't know, maybe it's... The- you, know, you know what's funny, too, is as we've been talking, I've been thinking about this sag after thing and trying to put it together in my head, men- mentatting it, if you will, mm-hmm. for all you Dune fans out there. And it occurred to me that um, because I was thinking you were saying like it's not like people can go back and make reparations they can in fact DC did it a, a while ago they went back to all their creators and, and they figured out ways to <clears throat> kind of pay back royalties and that kind of thing well they can uh, but they can't to Jack because he died right they'd have to to his estate and they maybe could to his estate but then it occurred to me that I thought, well, why haven't they done that yet? And then I went, oh, right, they're owned by Disney. <laughs> There's yeah. no way. And then as soon as I said that in my head, I went, I know exactly why SAG after DGA and WGA are worried about this mm-hmm. shit. Because Disney holds so the much. strongest copyright and trademarks. They basically got the courts to extend their copyright and trademark indefinitely. Yeah, right. It, and before it, it was just for Mickey, but now it's all this shit and Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, and they're vicious, man. Like, and and don't get me wrong, you have to be. But like, this is the company that you know will will stop a daycare from painting Mickey on the side of its building, mm-hmm. as per their right. And frankly, as in my opinion, as they should. I know there's a lot of people that are going to be mad at me for that, but sorry, they have this to is, because they otherwise, have to. when the other company that's not a daycare comes in, they can use that as precedent. Right. Right. Exactly. So it, you know, that's why. <laughs> That's why SAG it's after not that, look, it's not that I don't it's not that I don't want Jack Kirby's grandkids to to make money or get the but it, 
here's the thing, right? I don't know that the I don't know that Jack Kirby's grandkids are any better stewards of that than Marvel is. Well, and we don't know how his estate is set up. I mean, you keep saying Jack Kirby's grandkids, but like it's the Kirby estate. We don't know who that is or how it's set up. I mean, for all we know, when Kirby before he passed away, he set up an estate and a trust, and it runs a very specific way. It's just, um, uh, it's, I've met people that knew Jack, and they're like, "Well, you know, Jack knew what the fuck he was signing." Yeah, I've I've also met people, that and knew and Jack and Jack ran a publishing company for a while, and he had people sign similar contracts. And I mean, I've met people that helped Jack fight for the shit he wanted to fight for. Mm-hmm. I mean, Neil Adams helped him get his artwork back, some of it, right? But I mean, you're gonna get mad. It just doesn't make a. As a, as a someone who creates, nothing as cool as Jack ever created, or nor will I ever, but as someone who understands at least the basics of the collaborative process, I mean, when I've been doing PvP for 15 years, and when someone says, God, I'm really enjoying the storylines lately, I've been reading PvP for a long time, but I feel remiss if I don't say, well, Dylan and I are having a great time. Right. And it's within my right to say, I'm glad you're enjoying it, but I just don't feel right saying it, because... You can argue that Dylan grew up reading PvP, and she knows the characters, and she knows them because I made them, and, you know, that I can take credit for it, but Dylan is contributing. It's just a big process. At some point, that's the thing, is I don't know how, how this internet group can argue, well, everything should be in the public domain, and then say, Jack Kirby's the only person that did anything significant to these characters, and he should get all the money. Yeah, that's, that's the weird dichotomy, right? He is right? the king. Like, when the Thor movie came out, and and uh, everyone was pissed because Jack Kirby invented Thor. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, listen, I know you can't have a Thor movie unless Jack Kirby invented Thor with that Marvel version of Thor with Stan or whoever. And I know that he paved the way. And I guarantee you, Walt Simonson will say the same thing. Well, there'd probably be no Walt Simonson the way that we know him if it wasn't for Jack. I mean, look at his art. Mm-hmm. But the Thor on that screen was not just Jack's Thor. It was also Walt's Thor. Very much Walt's Thor. And it's also very much, you know... I mean, like, there's a reason why when you go watch Thor with a with a nerd and the certain pose is made and someone goes, Oh, dude, that's pure Ron Friends right there. Holy shit. <laughs> More than one person touches these characters over a lifetime. Yeah. And <clears throat> and so and 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 left to just him on a drawing board, you wouldn't uh, Jack at his drawing board, you wouldn't have a Thor movie. I don't I what's, don't know that Art Jack would argue with that. What's funny is what what you're saying is actually <clears throat> the the point in argument that most <clears throat> of these copy copy leftist people would use against you. They'd say, "Well, this is why we have to. Everything has to be available to everyone. Look at look at Robin Hood and all the fantastic tales we've right. had of, of but then Robin when, Hood. But when it comes to Jack, for some reason, and I guarantee you, it's because it's all because no one likes the fact that when Stan Lee goes up on the Today Show because there's a new Spider-Man movie, and Marvel themselves, who love Jack, mm-hmm. have a vault event of 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 uh, in a vested interest in Jack. Say, hey, we're gonna have Stan go on the Today Show and and talk about Spider Man. And Matt Lauer goes, so so what 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 were you thinking when you invented Spider Man? He's like, well, I thought about what if a man had the strength of a spider. And everyone right. goes, that's not how it happened. Talk about Steve Ditko. But no one says, 
look, eh, this is the Today Show, you know? He's got, yeah, and he's got 30 <laughs> he's got, seconds he's to He's got talk. 30 seconds. They're going to cut and him he, off if he goes into history. They want an when answer. He gets interviewed, when he gets interviewed by the Comics Journal, everyone's going to talk about Ditko, but on the Today Show, it's going to be Stan invented the fucking Fantastic yeah. Four. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, but it's just it's it's just crazy to me. And there's also <laughs> so many fucking other agendas. I can't tell you how pissed I get when someone like Farago, who runs the Cartoon Art Museum, is like, "This is this is it." All right, well, uh, <laughs> you you also run an art museum, so let's not forget that. Well, I mean, that's another that's not germane to this conversation. <laughs> I mean, I guess, well, now that you mentioned it, I guess it does ancillarily benefit my thing that if we support things like the Hero Initiative and and things that, uh, I guess my museum does fit into there. It's fun. Thanks for mentioning that. Okay, take it, you know. Um, it just, it just drives me, it just drives me crazy because, I mean, and that's why I get mad when people are like, oh, Scott, creator rights, Kurtz, that doesn't feel that Jack Kirby's grandkids should get any of his money for this Thor movie. But it's never like, hmm, Scott Creator writes K- Kurtz doesn't think the Kirby estate... You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. I'm very pro-Creator writes. There's no one else... Like, I will tell everyone, well, you should publish it yourself. Sorry. Yeah. You know, I'm that guy. Um, and I don't know that the grandkids need to get this copyright back. The thing is, like, here's the thing. You guys are liking these movies, right? You want more? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry to kind of, uh, you know, maybe. Listen, I would like this movie better if the estate <laughs> were able to sell it again to the company that already owns it so that they could make more money off of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, like, you guys know that you're signing your own fucking death warrant when it comes right. to these movies. Yeah. If you want less Avengers movies made, Stop give that them. give that copyright back to the Kirby estate. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I'm I hate to say it. It's not it's not that less will be made because here we uh, let's let's break down the realistic. Maybe scenario. I'm wrong on that. T- no, okay, here me. let's 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 mentat it right. Let's think this through. Can we not mentat? Can we sigma six it? No, that's <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, well, there'll be skulls and crossbones and a dagger. Let me drink my red juice. Six about this. six sigma. <laughs> so. Let's pretend like the Supreme Court rules that this copyright has to go back. Okay. And it goes and it goes to the estate. Uh, here's what's going to happen immediately: the estate is going to sell the fucking thing back to Disney, <laughs> and then you all are going to feel like a bunch of fucking chumps. <laughs> I mean, and and when I say they're going to sell it back, I mean it. They're going to turn around because Disney's going to come to them and go, "Look, we want to make more Avengers movies." And they go, "Okay, cool." Now they're going to gonna say, "We are making more Avengers movies." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well. You know, they'll they'll say one of two things will happen. They'll say we're gonna we want to make more Avengers movies. We're making more Avengers movies. It's worth a lot of money. So you know, here's X million dollars to buy the media rights to the property that we owned a week ago, and almost assuredly, it's gonna be enough millions of dollars that the people who now own it are gonna sell it back to them. Right now, the opposite is also possible, in which Disney goes, all right, we you know we got to plenty of other properties here that we can make stuff out of <laughs> in, ad- in addition to new properties uh, or they're going to go to Marvel and say, Hey, create a new superhero for us and we'll make a movie out of it and it'll sell comics. Mm-hmm. And then, and then none of Kirby st- and then all of Kirby stuff will go away. In Jack in either- Kirby, Jack Kirby died in 1994. Right. 
That's the year the Lion King came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. No one started giving a shit about this until Iron Man, or no, until until Thor. Thor until, was the big one. Was it? Was Thor the big one? That's the one where everybody got internet ragey. Was okay. Thor. Well, I would say Avengers. So, so from from Lion King to Avengers, <laughs> not a ton of movement on this. Yeah. Well, and it's not that the estate wasn't trying. No, they've of been course. to court several times. They've taken it all the way up to circuit court. Like they've been in and out of court. If it goes to Supreme Court and there's a ruling on it, and it probably will be a ruling that is not in their favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's. I mean, let's just be honest here. The, the contracts are what the contracts were. Is if you if you're interested in contract copyright and trademark, go back and listen to our episode with Katie Lane, where she says that you can technically sign away your firstborn child, like. You can put whatever you want in a contract. It's not always upholdable. But in this particular case, we're talking about pretty pretty basic copyright and trademark here. It's not going to go back to them. But, uh, you know. They're not interested it, about going back to them anyway. They're interested no. about making. It's, it's about money. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, it's about selling. They want to make a ton of money. They want to get a piece of this Avengers pie. But again, it, it you know, are there altruistic means here like what is how is the estate set up what was what were the goals of the estate i mean we don't know this all we know is that his family are are public and vocal about it and have been forever and nobody it's just like with the amazon thing nobody gave a shit until they couldn't get the thing that they wanted to right right nobody cared about this dispute between hashay and amazon until they couldn't get their jk rowling book under her assumed name that nobody she has a pseudonym writing name that nobody uses they just (laughs) call it a rowling book even though it's on all the books um, well, that was. I think she wanted to see if a book would sell if it wasn't didn't have her name on. Yeah, but it leaked immediately. Basically, the pre-orders weren't there, and her publisher leaked it. So, oh, and, don't and, come on, don't tell me that. <laughs> well, go, go look it up. <laughs> oh, I'm sad. Well, that's what happened. Uh, You're making me sad. Sorry. Gotta go play Wildstar. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, look, here's the bottom line, Brad. No yes. one is going to fight for our kids to get shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, our you ain't a good <laughs> We are not. We, no one's going to be. One day, one day, Dylan's grandkids and your grandkids are going to have a copyright dispute in Ugh. the Supreme Court. No. <laughs> no one will care. <laughs> well, your lips I, to God's ears, man. I think time will be different, man, because here's the deal. People like us, we believe very strongly in these rights and creators' things or whatever, but the the Tumblr generation, who I am now officially naming Tumble Muffins, <laughs> uh, that was from my wife. I can't take full credit for it, but the, the Tumble Muffins believe that taking a p- any old piece of artwork, changing it the tiniest bit and slapping it on, on the tumbles makes it theirs. And they're, they're growing up this way. And, and at some point, the the reality of the situation is going to change. At some point, there are going to be enough people that believe that 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 is going to be the new reality. Like I'm, and this could be hundreds of years in the future. But the more people that believe that, the longer it goes on. It'll swing back because as soon as people start creating stuff that is getting taken from them, that's the problem. <laughs> well, and that's just it, right? Is nobody? A lot of these people that believe in this copyleft stuff, they've they've never had something taken from them or they've had something taken from them um when they didn't do their due diligence oh, I, I, uh, you mean they pulled a paley 
<laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Or you make a movie that everybody loves, not realizing that you don't own the rights to the, the bulk of your movie. <laughs> Whoops, oopsie doodle. And you didn't do your dil- due diligence to figure it out in advance. I'm telling you, anybody who's listening to this right now, when I say due diligence, I'm talking about a couple hundred bucks and a few hours with a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And it will save you thousands of dollars in the future. I'm starting that, to learn that everything takes a year minimum. It, you know, things do take time. Take, I mean, that's, take, that's like, like I know that you guys think that we just invented this Scratch Fury dice bag that's on pre-sale mm-hmm. now. No. It's been a year. <laughs> it's been a year. Yeah. Everything takes a year. And you own that outright. And you want it to take a year. Yeah. If you want it to not cause a mess in the future, it takes a year. <laughs> Uh, big messes in the future. It can because you know you just just do your due diligence, take your time. I I know it's hard, particularly for creators, for people listening, because you want you when the idea is fresh, you want to do it right. You want to do it in that moment. Yeah. You want to be in the moment and do the idea right now. And and technology, new media technology in particular, is really helping with that. You know, Vine. Right. I have a great idea. I just put it out on Vine. You know, right? Yeah. But if you look at the really good vines, they're heavily edited together. Oh my god! F- these are six seconds that guys are spending hours finding moments and beats and interesting things and funny Absolutely. things. Absolutely. And, and, and there's some of it, it that I can't believe for a minute that are actually done with the Vine app. That there's no, no, got to no. be more. No, no. no there's no, no. several editing there's, programs. Yeah, there's there's a couple apps that let you upload stuff to Vine. I mean, we're talking about hours of content that take six seconds. Even this, even this podcast i mean like we spend a few hours recording and then a few more hours editing and then this podcast takes 20 people to make guys (laughs) no i i mean it's it there are definitely things that we could do better and there are things that we could streamline but we're certainly not just recording this and then hitting go Mm. you know and and as as much as we'd like to sometimes (laughs) which really the thing is like you just need to you just need to remember that like like i got i've been really excited we've all been very excited about the music in wildstar and I'm also excited about the character design. But I can wrap my head around the character design. I can deconstruct it in my mind. I know what goes into it. I'm just, I'm impressed at the, at, I'm very impressed by it. But I understand what goes into it. Music is magic to me. <laughs> Making music is, is completely magic. So yeah. it's such a, it's, I don't even know where to start. So it seems so magical. But like, there was a documentary with Keanu Reeves made about um, the move to digital film and things being created. He's talking to James Cameron. He's like, a lot of traditionalists feel that when you start creating characters and environments out of 3D, you're not filming anything real. You're, you're taking away filming something that's real. And Cameron goes, you've been on a movie set. I've been on a movie set. The people watching don't know this, but what on a movie set is real? What is being filmed that is real? Right. Yeah, man. And it's true. Like, if you see the pictures of the queen on the set of Game of Thrones, it looks like a Universal Studios stunt show set. Mm-hmm. But that's the way it looks before it's filmed. So, and what people don't see is like, well, Jack Kirby should make all the money off of that movie because he invented Thor. And then that, over the last 50 years, became the Thor we know, but he started it. And, but they don't even know the, the number of crew that worked on that movie. Like your movie, your the money you spent on that movie went to the right creators. Like it's okay. Because <laughs> you, you you don't got we, to a place where I wanted to start talking about Tim's Vermeer. 
Oh my oh, I saw god. Did you watch it? Uh, because you're talking uh, about you're talking movie, about right? Yeah, you're talking about what's real and what's not real, what's art and what's not art. Fuck, man. Did you watch it? Yeah. All right, let's give them homework. Everybody okay. go on iTunes and spend the 4.99, skip Starbucks today. Which is Listen, which is probably fixed, but get past that. Spend spend and here we go. <laughs> <laughs> spend the 4.99 on let's Tim's give them all Vermeer. all of their options real quick, all right? Because it's not just <laughs> iTunes. Oh, uh, Amazon! I got it on Amazon. I was gonna say I did see it on Amazon Prime, but I don't. I think I would have had to pay for it. But it is on Amazon. It's a, yeah, you you have to pay for it. It's a Sony. It's Sony Classic. It's available on Amazon and iTunes. You can also buy the Blu-ray combo pack. This thing is available in a lot of places. And it's called Tim's Vermeer. Vermeer. Have like you watched it yet, Brad? What's that? Have you seen it? I have not. I, I okay. I, then we I need cheap, to wait. Brad, I cheaped you need out, to but I will. I will go and yep. watch it. It's got it's Martin a, Mole in it. I, I I know I'll love it. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> for a very short period of time. Yeah. It's called Tim's Vermeer. V E R M E E R. Just like the artist. Mm-hmm. And uh, should we summarize it real quick? See what it's about. Sure. Go um, ahead. Uh, yes, I'll summarize a, it. Go for it. Penn and Teller know a guy who's an inventor in a computer program. He invented video toaster. The guy that invented video. Oh, toaster. I was just thinking about that the other day. Tim okay. Tim Jennison, I think yeah. his name. He's got a lot of time on his hands because he's rich. And he read a book. <laughs> he read a book about whether or not the masters use technology to create their photorealistic mm-hmm. um, art. In particular, Vermeer, because Vermeer painted light that he observed. The human eye really can't observe. Isn't isn't capable. Of isn't capable. Is- a photograph. A, a, a camera is capable of capturing it, but the human eye is not. This is Johannes Vermeer, the Dutch guy. And he set out to see if perhaps um, Camera Obscura and other uh, mid-century technologies were used to essentially turn a human into a camera. And he set out to recreate one of Vermeer's paintings with no skill as a painter by using technology that essentially turns him into a capture device. Technology that existed in at the Vermeer's time, time in yes. the seven, in 17th century. That they were aware of because they were Vooch, all playing. Land. Yeah, scientists were playing with mirrors and camera obscuras and all that. And, right. and if I remember, because he talked about this somewhere, I listened to him. He even like went to the extent of making his own paint and stuff like this, correct? Oh, yeah. yeah he, he grounded he his had own to paint. Do it, he grounded he had his to own do it lenses. all from scratch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It had to be, he had to be able to do it exactly how Vermeer would have done it. So he did everything. Most of Vermeer's paintings were painted in this one studio, and he rebuilt the studio in a garage in Austin, Texas. Wow. So he went all out. He went so, all out. So the homework for surviving creativity, because we're going to, the the segue that we never got to was uh you know what what is uh, what is art i guess is, well no is, is, the is the big question is is there cheating in art yeah is there cheating oh in man art? i want to talk about that that's real cuz i it, that fits right in with my switch into digital and i've been really struggling with what i've been doing is it cheating or not well and it it also ties into these new kids the new generation that you know maybe don't believe as strongly in copyright and trademark because wow at the time with Vermeer, it's like what you know. What is his artwork was? It wasn't copywritten; it didn't exist. But his artwork was copywritten in a, in a way, or it would be today, using digital methods that he's he's and and to this um, Keanu movie, like what is real, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's literally just taking a photograph, only using it with oil, right? 
instead of with the instead of with the a camera. Yeah, the big the big question was he was essentially a camera. He turned himself into a camera. Turn he and he the don't the say argument, anything else. It's okay, worth I won't it's say worth it. watching. I won't say it. Wow. So okay, go I, go I watch that. Watch we'll this. come back. We'll come back next week. We'll talk about it and you can listen to us. It's it's and like, it's great because it's produced by Penchalette and it's directed by Teller and they're wonderful. Yeah. Oh, it's and, very the, great. and the way they present things, of course, are a lot of fun. So yeah. it's not even oh. a boring documentary. No, 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 no. If you it's get a chance to watch their TV show, uh, bullshit, uh, I, I love every minute of that series. Yeah, that it's, they did. it's great. Yeah, it's great. Okay, All right. go kids, go watch. Oh, are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch it again. It's only it's like a buck to rent on Amazon, or you can buy it for like. You know, four to ten dollars, depending on how you want to get it. And I'll and I and since we're wrapping up, although I think we should put it in the little uh, run up uh, that we record to the show. Look for us on iTunes. We are finally yeah. on iTunes. Surviving yeah. creativity. We're price fixed at free <laughs> on iTunes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Apple's taking a cut. Our publisher is negotiating <laughs> there's, with them there's right the... now. <laughs> That's a fake laugh. <laughs> I'm gonna come out and say it. <laughs> we're free go to go on itunes you can search us surviving creativity and it pops up and you can subscribe to the podcast and it'll always be popping up there and and uh patreon.com who's got a new website makeover looks beautiful go watch tim's from here everybody we'll see you next week all right goodbye <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Surviving Creativity. It's been a blast. Be sure to come back next week. And don't forget, we're now available on iTunes. You can go ahead and subscribe to the podcast there, and you'll get an automatic update when it comes out. Don't forget, Surviving Creativity is made possible by listeners like you. If you like what you heard, head on over to patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity, and please consider becoming a patron. Join us next week when we review the Penn & Teller documentary, Tim's Vermeer, on another episode of Surviving Creativity.